Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talk Time with Max Contact. I'm Sean McIver, your host. For this episode, we welcome Gareth Walsh, who's here to talk to us about customer intimacy. Gareth is Senior Director of Customer Experience and Supply Chain Transformation at Zimmer Biomet. He's previously worked at the likes of Smith & Nephew, Johnson & Johnson, Thames Water, and Oxford Nanoprene Technologies in senior customer service roles. Welcome, Gareth. As ever with any of these conversations, I always like to do a short introduction to my guest and then pass it over to them. So in tradition, how have I done? Is there anything you would add to that? Tell us a bit about yourself. I think you've covered definitely all the main milestones, Sean. So thanks very much for a great introduction. Within my current role, looking after customer experience for the leading orthopedics organization globally for a medical device perspective is, well, it's an incredible honor and a real privilege to drive the organization forward in this way. I'd be <laughs> definitely incumbent on me to say what a great organization I work for and how fortunate I am to be able to drive things which make an improvement to people's lives and help alleviate pain across the world. And it, it's incredible. I was reading some of the things that the company do, and it, just to reflect on that, it really is quite incredible that the literally life-changing things and work that, that are done as part of that, not only within that business, but within that field. It's a really interesting conversation that I expect we're going to have today. Definitely. And just on that point, today's discussion is going to be about customer intimacy and ensuring that you've got the right level of customer intimacy in the appropriate phase of any given customer's journey. Now, we spoke before we began this conversation, and I've not actually come across the phrase customer intimacy, I suppose, stated in such terms before. I can conceptualize what that means, but as Senior Director of Customer Experience at Zimmer Bionet, how do you define customer intimacy, and how does that differ to customer experience? A really good question. I think... From our perspective, and it starts a little bit from where the organization comes from as well, right? We are very patient focused in terms of our mission and the way in which our products impact the people around the world that they serve. However, aside from the patient, obviously, we have direct contact with our surgeons, our healthcare professionals, and the supporting staff that drive the surgeries in the hospitals on hip replacements, knee replacements, and the other products that we support. As a result of that, it's a very unique segment that we operate in. And what's really important within that, which goes beyond the standard customer experiences, whilst we want to make ourselves as easy to do business with as possible, because of the nature of what we do, we need to design certain elements of our customer journey, which absolutely goes closer to the customer when it needs to be. There are always elements of urgency, emergency, and the like within our industry. And we need to ensure we're set up to be able to move closer to the customer or the more automated journey in parallel, almost, to make sure that we keep those key customer touch points and really understand our customers' needs when they occur and when they become apparent. So it's that ability to zoom in and zoom out in order to maintain a consistent customer journey, but also to drive forward to be able to come closer to where you need it to be. And that really describes those designed points of intimacy that you really want to 
make sure are enabled across the organization. Understood. Just before we continue on, I want to just touch on what you've just said. And I do want to ask, you talked about customer intimacy and you talked about the human interaction and the automated interactions running in parallel. Do you see customer intimacy as being human first or is there a degree of customer intimacy you can achieve using your automated processes? I think it's almost the appearance of as it is by a human first, if you see what I mean, rather than it being a technological piece. Obviously, with the fantastic developments in the past couple of years related to, you know, machine learning, AI, etc., there's some great opportunities to leverage those in order to help with that customer intimacy piece. For example, our understanding now of inventory usage and the way in which we manage our physical products at the customer's shelf, so to speak, has never been better. And we've got such great insight as a result of those elements. However, there's nothing that really can replace that immediate reaction and interaction and connection that's driven by that human element that we need to make sure is married within the customer journey at all times, however much we drive down towards the automation route and the optimization route as much as we can. We do need to design that human element into it too. So I guess to directly answer your question, it's not necessarily it has to be human first, but it does have to enable us to be different to our standard in order to, if you like, uh, achieve that right level of intimacy. That's the right way of putting it. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from, and and that makes perfect sense. I'm going to cut slightly and be a little bit more business-orientated for just a moment. How do you utilize that customer intimacy to a competitive advantage, for example? How do you achieve that, ensuring that you're still focused on the needs of the business? And does that ever create conflict there? Yeah, I mean, naturally, I think there is an element of conflict within that. Look, I think if we're just talking purely from a business-focused perspective, when it comes to customer experience, customer service teams, and the like, consolidation into single footprints from a staffing and resources perspective is always something that an organization wants to achieve. It's always an objective behind it. Now, the challenge in that is that you lose that connection with your end customer or being close to your end customer, right? So how do you technically enable to maintain that connection is one key challenge within that. The secondary key challenge within that is how do you ensure that your processes are well understood and mapped out enough that if you do decentralize and you disconnect from a local market, so to speak, How does that work? How do you manage and maintain that so you're avoiding exactly what you're trying to design to achieve, if you see what I mean? So that business conversation around that is always a bit of a difficult one. I don't think we've solved that yet. I think we're still working towards that from a footprint perspective. From a technology side of things, in terms of the commercial differentiator behind that, what I'd say about the medical device industry is generally true, certainly in Europe. Because we're a public sector-driven organization, a lot of our customers are public sector healthcare. So certainly 60% of our business is that way. Now, as a result of that, we're driven a bit by our customer needs. Yeah, so in terms of our customers not necessarily got a lot of investment at their side. Now, I still receive 40% of orders through via fax, for example, and having to explain to my rather younger team what a fax machine was 
is one of the funniest experiences I've ever had in my life. I've got to be honest, saying, oh, well, you put a piece of paper in and it sends it via a phone line and then it prints off at the other end was something that I didn't have to expect to have to do in my career. But nevertheless, we got through that. So as a result of that, we're driven by the technical capabilities of our customers. Yeah. Now that means that as we automate and as we drive optimization and we apply technology, we need to be mindful of the fact that our customers might not be able to keep up with us and we need to help enable them to be able to do so so they can feel the benefits of that. That by itself creates that commercial differentiation. If you see what I mean, it creates that opportunity for driving retention, stickiness, because we're making it so easy for you, Mr. Customer. Well, you want to grow your business with us. And that's exactly what we're trying to invest in to really make sure that within Zimmer Biomat as an organization, that as within our segment, that we're seen as customer focused, customer centric, and the intimacy element we see as a really key selling point to what we can bring to our customers as a result. Yeah, no, that, that aligns with what my understanding of that was. Thank you for that. I suppose the, the follow-up to that then would be customer engagement as a concept. I've spoken quite a lot about that previously. I've spoken about the impact of customer engagement when it's done almost in silo, like you have a customer engagement team and that's what they do, but then that gets kind of lost in the rest of the business. Um, and it needs to be integrated throughout the business and embraced by every level. Would you say that that's something that also applies to customer intimacy as well? Absolutely, because I think where you hit a challenge in that silo-focused organization, it's definitely an issue that we've come across and starting to try and bridge with the application of good usage of CRM and adoption of CRM by all functions, not just sales and not just service, that where you hit that challenge is that each silo has a different focus on what the customer is looking for. So if you're not joined up in your offering, then what they end up seeing is a fragmented view of your organization rather than a joined up single point, all singing in the same direction, all hitting in the same direction. And I think where you hit that challenge, I'll give a few specifics in my area. So you know, our commercial teams, our sales reps are still very much out in the field. They're still selling face-to-face. -face. That's the nature of orthopedic sales. They're often in the surgery side-by-side -side with the healthcare professionals that use our products. Now, as a result of that, that means that the conversations they're having are very focused on those areas about products understanding, product in dimensions, products information, how certain things work. Whereas our marketing teams, for example, might want to talk to our customers around, this is the great new thing that's coming. You might want to educate some surgeons. We might want to educate some healthcare professionals. And then I've got my cash collections team and customer service teams or customer experience teams, as we call them, then calling our customers to talk about orders, pricing, maybe some issues with invoices, whatever it might be. But all of us talking with completely different voices, completely unaware of what the other one's doing, was very much the environment that we, we started with. What we're trying to move towards now is we've got those conversations happening, but they're in one platform, they're in one way, they're in one direction. So all functions are understanding what the others are talking to the others about. They can support each of those conversations, cross-piece, so actually we're generating that single view of the customer, that understanding. And from that single view of the customer, then can design the right stages of intimacy that they need to see what support you need. Do you need more support in order to catch? Do you need more support on medical education? Do we need to talk to you more about what, what our new offerings are and the like? And that's where we can really generate 
something that adds value to our business as well. It's really interesting. I want to unpack that a little more if I can. You talked and you kind of illustrated what I believe to be quite a common scenario in the entire industry. If we kind of explored that out much wider, I think it's not uncommon. And I can't speak for people that aren't here, but I would imagine that that resonates quite well with what you've just described across many areas of the broader industry, across all business types and demographics. That idea of siloization or the different verticals and having that lack of awareness spreading across. And you mentioned about having a single platform that everything goes into. So can we just talk about that a little bit more? Does that mean that someone who's in sales is able to see the other areas and what's been spoken about in the other areas as well? Yeah, that's absolutely the intent. And I think what we're trying to achieve through that is to ensure that each of those conversations, when they happen, the first aspect is don't get blindsided. That's almost the first objective of that. So if I'm a sales rep sitting in front of a customer, the last thing I want to be beaten around the head with when I'm there to talk about my new product is the invoice query that's been outstanding for 15 days that my customer experience team hasn't got to. Equally, if I'm about to talk to someone about surgeon training, I don't want to hear the fact that sales rep was saying, well, don't bother with that because it's, you know, it's not really for you. And it's those conversations that we're really trying to join up. It starts with awareness, I think, more than anything else. It starts with the awareness from all teams. You are not the only people having conversations with customers. It might be you're the only person having conversation with this contact of uh, this customer. But the important thing to, that we can help them to do is show them the breadth of the discussions we're having with them at our side, and then vice versa, so we can make sure that that's visual and visible. Once we've created that visibility, then we can create your understanding of what the customer is trying to achieve. If you've got a big buying group in DAC or a big, a big clinic group in the Netherlands or a, a local A&E in the UK, whichever of those customers, they will have different needs. They will have different expectations of what we need to manage. And each of those conversations will be different from each of those functions for each of those customers as well. So we can never be one size fits all. So if we can't be one size fits all, the, the least we can do is help each other understand the conversations we're having. And from that, we can make sure that customers don't get lost in the ether of what is a very complex procurement process in medical devices, I'm afraid to say, but at least we can try and help simplify it as much as we possibly can. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I suppose the other aspect of it, and you alluded to it earlier on, is I suppose twofold actually. So number one, you've got this starting point where everybody's very much so kind of siloed and working in their own way, which inherently would suggest to me as an outsider looking in based on what you've described, that that's going to have individualized microcultures across mm. each of those silos, culture being this is just how we do things around here. Not only that, but within each of those silos, I'm going to stereotype here for the purposes of explanation. It may not necessarily be exactly this way, but it takes a very different type of personality to do sales than it does to do customer service writ large and averaged out. Mm. How did you approach balancing those things and almost standardizing and embedding customer intimacy culturally within those micro silos and then also accounting for those individual personality types that are inevitably within those roles were there challenges there and how did you approach that i think it starts with i mean it's still ongoing let's be really clear about that it'll never i don't think it'll ever stop i think it's a it's a continual piece of work for all of us but so i think 
where we started with it is you always start from the corporate values. So let's be really clear. I mean, that's always your starting point. Whenever you're trying to get cross-functional collaboration is the one thing we all sign up to is a, these are the values of our organization kind of thing. So you start with that piece. And fortunately, in a medical devices organization, the focus is on the patient and then the customer that serves that patient. So actually, we're all driving in that direction. Anyway, we want to drive improvement. So starting from those two elements, the next stage within after that, for me, is always to then look at which areas of a customer journey is starting to malfunction, is driving and see clearly from a metrics perspective where there might be issues. It could, that could be all's answered. That could be inquiries received. That could be the reasons for those inquiries. It could be a whole number of things, complaints, service complaints, product complaints, whatever it might be. Right? Once you've got that, data-driven approach where you can be absolutely, rather than anecdotal, which is very common in a customer journey piece, and once you've got a data-driven approach where it's actually proven that these are the key aspects of what we need to change, from there, it's about driving forward a very much a co-located roadmap. And the way we've done that within our area is we work to rebrand our customer service function from customer service to customer experience to drive that ownership of the end-to-end piece within that function. Because I think that end-to-end ownership, it starts to expand, if you like, that view of this is my silo, this is your silo. And it starts to, you know, if you like, encourage people to look beyond, not just be satisfied with, yeah, I've done my bit, so I'll see you later. You've got to go end-to-end to ensure and drive customer satisfaction. And that's really what intimacy is all about. Really, that's the fundamental foundation that drives it, is that want to not just stop at your function's end to solve a customer's problem or issue, is actually go all the way through to make sure that the issue is resolved so they don't need to repeat it again. By highlighting some key things in that data-driven approach, it means that we've been able to apply technology in the right place, and we've been able to apply communication in the right place, but also start to apply accountability across the functions for what they need to do. So, you know, that's still a level of development that still needs to happen to that. It's, it's a very exciting movement that we've seen so far, just even in the nine months since we've rebranded and recreated that function. But it's a great journey to be on, and it's definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it's a really fascinating approach. And I really like what you said about the quantitative rather than the qualitative input customers talking to someone who's who's had a conversation with somebody who said, oh, they really didn't like this, is very different to actually getting the metrics supporting that statement, being able to make data-driven decisions, as you say. Mm. I think one of the other things I would absolutely want to touch on, and I think is really important as part of this conversation to anyone listening, is around the actual... So, so we talked about the importance of customer intimacy, and we've talked about the different silos and the different personality profiles, if you like, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. How do you go around implementing the right level of customer intimacy against the right phase of the customer's journey? And I suppose there's a couple of sub-questions that I'll tack onto that, and feel free to kind of go wild with this, but can you go too far? What happens if you get it wrong in the various phases and those sorts of things? I'm curious about more around that, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely fine. I think there's five key stages within any customer's development. And as I kind of intimated earlier, our procurement process or our procurement journey, so the offer part of the offer to match process, if you like, is very complicated, quite lengthy, and takes a lot of negotiation and development. 
So actually the awareness of that stage, both within both downstream, within say customer experience teams or within pricing teams or within other teams that don't necessarily get involved with that sales negotiation, that education element is a key part because what that could drive is if there's frustration customer side or if there's challenges with how that's been managed or if there's been some back and forth or commitments made by the commercial teams, visibility of that is absolutely critical in terms of across the organization. So I think if we talk about stage one of that journey, that's the first thing that we want to make sure is visual to everyone, right? So whereabouts in your pipeline are these opportunities? What are you offering? Are the products available? That kind of thing. And drawing that into a really wide conversation is one key element. Secondary piece is really to ensure that our customers' expectations of the standard, let's say the standard journey about how they're going to interact with our customer now we've onboarded them, is really well set out. It's really good. It's really clear that our customers need to understand opening times. They really need to understand what are their cutoffs like. If they place an order by this time, when will they get it? The standard stuff. So they, it means that their general day-to-day business, when a customer can place 30 to 40 orders with us a day in terms of to receive the products that they want, that a standard order of business is they don't need to chase it. They don't need to concern about it. They know what's going on. If they hit these certain signs, then they know what communication they're going to get as standard as a result of that piece. Right? So the standard part of day-to-day operations. Third element is to make sure they know where to go. What's the, what happens if, basically, really helping them to understand if, if you have a problem, these are the things that you can do to resolve that problem. Whereas in the past, maybe that resolution was they just called their sales rep. You know, the old style way of doing, oh, just call my rep. Who's my rep? That kind of thing. So how to get away from that. That's the third element. Fourth piece, visibility. So if they've got an issue, how do they stay connected to that issue to see it's resolved? Kind of thing, whatever that issue might be. And then the fifth and final bit, really, to be honest with you, is about ensuring that once we've done all that, is how we take them on the journey of what we want them to move towards. Because whilst we've done all that and we set clear our expectations and they know what to do and they're very clear and in their view with all the medical supplies supplies that they manage, you know, all of them, we're the clearest ones to deal with. That's the objective and the aim. The shift bit is how we move forward with them in partnership to help improve our processes in parallel. That's the key element of the intimacy part, if you see what I mean. That's the key element because if you develop that fifth piece, you make the relationship with the customer very sticky. It means that, that you're a partner, you're not a service provider. And that difference between the two is critical to retention, obviously, but also in the inevitability that something goes wrong in those four things that I just described at the beginning of it. If you're working in partnership together, there's a lot more leeway for those four bits if they do go wrong. That's, if you like, the five stages that we're trying to drive through. It's the partnership we're always trying to create with the customer. And then finally, within that is obviously, much as I'd love to send a member of my team to all the many thousands of customers that we've got, out in this organization, realistically, I can't do that. So what I need is my team to be listening. They need to be hearing. They need to be ready to act in terms of on customer feedback, be that written, be that physical, be that an automation challenge, whatever it might be. I need them to be jumping on top. So then it's about cultural difference and sort of training to be able to help them to feel that they can proactively go and solve things, not just sit there and wait for the problem to come and then 
wait for a senior stakeholder to go, oh, you need to fix that. It's that proactive way of doing things to really try and solve problems and solve issues. And I think within that, if you make that visible to the customer, just how proactive you're being to help them, I think that's where the intimacy comes about. That's where you're not just someone who they pay for a service. You're not just someone who I buy a product from. You're someone that solves issues for them. You're someone that doesn't just kick them down an automated chatbot tunnel or ask them to press three or whatever it might be. That's when you really achieve, no matter which way we go with from a technology perspective, there's always that feeling that the customer is going to be cared for at the end of any issue that they have. And I think that, again, that speaks to such a, a wider audience within a horde of different business types. If you can get to a point whereby you're actively engaging with your customers and, and it's a partnership and you're working together on overcoming whatever those challenges may be, you almost become a part of their business rather than an asset that they leverage. Actually, you're integral to their inherent success. And if you don't have that conversation and you don't have that partnership mentality, in it makes it, I guess, again, to sound business-like, it makes it that much easier to sever ties and just jump to someone else, jump ship. Yeah. Whereas the consideration and thought of the effort of having to build that whole new relationship and get to that partnership level again, that's a very different prospect. So Definitely. tough question. Yeah. Obviously, within a given business, looking at customer engagement and particularly customer intimacy, again, I'm going to hone in on that phrase. We all have KPIs, we all have requirements, and we all want to ensure that we're doing the right job. How do you go about establishing what good looks like? How do you KPI against customer intimacy? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's something, I'll be honest, I'm still figuring out of it. I can't sit here and say, yeah, what you do is you measure this and that's job done. You can go to your board, is your intimacy metric. No, I'm not. I'm definitely not there yet. We're still developing that as we go. But, you know, I think the key elements that I'd say within it is, I think it's really common to record case types, call numbers, call types, etc. Right. And I think that's really common at a customer level or a contact level or a country or a campus, whichever. Right? I think the key element that you're really looking for is the repeat. That's the way, if you like, that I'm working to design and drive it. I'm looking for the same contact that's had to call us three times about the same problem in a week. I'm looking for the same question being asked by the same account four times in a month kind of thing. What that immediately indicates, as it does to everyone, I'm sure, in the audience, what that immediately indicates to me is what aren't we doing? There's something we're not doing. There's something we're not understanding about this customer's expectations. And I think my favorite example of that is the most common phone call that I received last year into my customer experience themes was, who is my sales rep? Which meant that from our organization's perspective, we haven't done a great job of educating our customers about who looks after them, who's their key contact, who it is that they need to focus on if they've got an issue. Immediately resolving that with communication and education and telling people about it, obviously that's a key aspect that comes out of that. But looking at the next most common reasons is what drives that better engagement and understanding of it. And seeing where the funkier ones come from, like the unexpected one, like they don't know who their key sales rep is, was a bit unexpected when we started running the metric. Equally, chasing up orders sounds stupid, you know, in the present day and age, but 
that's the second most common one after that. Again, because of the different needs of our customers versus others, they've got a patient booked in the following day should the hip implant we're about to send out. So they're more desperate to know, do I need to delay this patient for coming in or I can tell them to eat because actually they don't need to fast ahead of their surgery because they're not coming in tomorrow, they're coming in the day after. It's little things like that that helps to understand why the customers are asking those questions. Knowing that and creating that understanding and empathy, that's what drives the intimacy element. So that's a long way of saying the answer's not there yet, but there's a few key indicators or lead indicators that can help us to then design it off something which is beyond an MPS for me. That's the element. It's beyond MPS. It's not whether you'd recommend us. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. But at the same time, it's, that's quite a cut and dried and quite a specific metric for that particular moment when you're asking that question kind of thing. Intimacy is something that goes deeper than that. And that's where we're starting to try and design some of our costs at work to really reflect that. Yeah, no, thank you for that. That does resonate a lot with me. And certainly in the way it was building in my mind, that that does sit very aligned. And it it feels like it's more aligned to a qualitative type of sense rather than necessarily a strictly quantitative sense, which inherently makes it a difficult thing to pin a metric, a single metric to. So I'm conscious of time. I've got one last question that I did want to get in there. For businesses whose leaders may or may not be listening to this conversation, if you could, this one piece of advice, your final thoughts, if, what advice would you give to businesses who are hearing this concept for the first time that are looking to integrate customer intimacy into their customer engagement experiences? Where should they start? What would be step one, day one for you? Yeah, I think it's a great question. You touched on it immediately with silos, you know, in terms of, you know, right off the top. So I think the most important element for me is that cross-functional collaboration in terms of your elements that touch your customer. And I think so, you know, that's one of the reasons why we, we like I said earlier, we've rebranded to customer experience. It's one of the reasons we're driving that cross-functional journey because I think for me, those critical touch points and understanding where they all are and how the organization is interacting with customers is the first step to be able to try and sort of drive that piece of so whatever steps it takes to get to that cross-functional collaboration. And that'll be different in every organization, right? So that'll be different in depending on the culture and values that you start with or depending on location and geographical location and different depending on technology, but getting to that cross-functional collaboration piece is the starting point because from there, you can map out a true customer journey across all the insights and you can really, really ascertain from each function, these are the important bits. These are the things that I do which add value. These are the bits where I, when I speak to that customer, I know I'm doing something. Or when I have this interaction or it comes into my mailbox or whatever it might be, this is when I know I'm making a difference to that customer relationship. And without that collaboration, I don't think you ever really achieve that. So I'd probably say that's the number one thing. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Gareth. And with that, unfortunately, it brings us to the end of my time. I could spend an embarrassingly long amount of time talking about this topic with you. It's It's been a really, really great conversation. And I, I just want to take a moment to say thank you very much for your time uh, taking speaking to me today. No, likewise, it's been a, it's been a brilliant conversation. And I'm sure that both our partners are very 
grateful that we're not going to spend that much time talking about it. I'm sure we've got other things to do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, no doubt. But no, again, thank you ever so much today to Gareth Walsh for joining us. And I will look forward to speaking in future, hopefully catching up with you again. Thank you very much. More than happy to show. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.